Good afternoon, family. Good to see you guys. Uh, grab your copy of God's Word. Uh, open it up. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Acts 5, 17. That's where we're going to be uh, spending our time this morning. We're going to pick up in the story where we left off last week, as is our habit. And so today the Sanhedrin, they're going to arrest the apostles again. And uh, we're going to learn how to suffer for Christ like Christ today. Uh, and there's actually some humor in the story, if you pay attention. So I'd invite you to pay attention. Give your attention to the reading of God's word. Acts 5, verses 17 through 42. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with them, that is, the party of the succulents, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened, we found them we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in a prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stopped being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in the name, yet you have fulfilled you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a, tree, on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But the Pharisees of the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law, held in honor of all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, he was killed, and all those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas of Galilee, 
rose up in the days of the census and drew away from away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone, for they for if this plan is the undertaking of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. They, and, they, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them with not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching the, and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we love you. You are worthy of all of our love and worthy of all of our praise. And uh, even as we sing these songs this morning and read this passage, I, I admit I love you, but I, I don't love you uh, with all my, all, all my heart. But I really want to. And I'm sure there's many people in this room that are the same way. So would you help us do what we, what we want? Would you help us love you with all of our heart? Would you change us? We, we need you to reshape us into your image and into your likeness so that your name is glorified. That's our purpose. So come now and do your work through your word and through the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's sacred name we pray, amen. Amen. What do we do when following Jesus makes our life harder instead of happier? Now, everybody loves a rags to riches story. Amen? We love a rags-to-riches kind of testimony. You know what I'm talking about? When Jesus saves a sinner who was strung out on drugs or they were embedded in a life of crime or they were deep, deep in a false religion or trapped in poverty, but now their life is better and brighter all because of Jesus. We love those stories, don't we? But what about those people who, who had a really tight-knit family that loved them. Uh, they, they had a wonderful job. They had a great future in their career. They had the respect of many of their friends and a life of comfort. But after they met Jesus, that all went away. What about that testimony? Does that glorify God? You know what I'm talking about? A spouse starts making comments as we walk out the door for church. You got to go again. You just went seven days ago. Our children don't want us at social gatherings. They don't invite us anymore like they used to. Uh, our friends, they start kind of rolling their eyes now when we talk. 
Our parents threatened to take away privileges that they once freely gave us because Jesus is changing what we value and Jesus is changing how we act. And they're noticing. Guys, this is kind of what the apostles are experiencing here. They love Jesus and they're committed to obeying him as Lord and this has put them at odds with the Sanhedrin, this high council of, of men. Their fellow countrymen. The apostles share many important things in common with the Sanhedrin. They're pretty significant. They share a common ethnicity. They share a common ancestry in history. They share a common nationality. Those are some pretty important things to have in common with someone. They matter. But they do not share the most important thing in common. A love for Jesus and a desire to glorify His name. And so... When push comes to shove, this makes them objects of persecution and makes them objects of suffering. Brothers and sisters, if we're serious about loving Jesus, like if we're serious about promoting his message, not our message and our brand, but his message and promoting and accomplishing his mission in the world, we will suffer for his name at some point. And by the way, we'll suffer from people that we're really close to. That's when we experience persecution for obeying Jesus Christ, there is, at least that I've noticed, there's this, and I think it's a very natural reaction or a natural voice that kicks on in our, in our head when this happens. Uh, we, we start to believe that this suffering could have been avoided. It didn't have to go this way. If we would have worked a little bit harder, we could have avoided all this pain or this awkwardness or suffering. One more conversation, that would have persuaded them. So we just had one more conversation. They come to see things from our point of view. You know, just it, maybe if we would have explained things just a little bit better, they would understand. Uh, maybe if we had a little more patience with them, our patience would have won them over. Oh, maybe if we had acted a little bit more love, they would not see us as a threat. Or maybe they wouldn't see us as a fool like they think we are for loving Jesus. But Christ has promised that you and I will suffer if we truly follow him. We can bank on it. And so here's the big idea today. What we get in Acts 5 is this framework to help us navigate persecution when it hits us. We get this little framework of how to get, navigate through persecution when it comes our way. And so there's two beams, if you will, to this frame, framework that the Bible gives us that we want to look at today, okay? The, the first beam is this. Suffering for Christ advances his mission instead of hindering it. Suffering for Christ advances his mission instead of hindering it. So let's go to the text here, verse 18. It says, They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began 
to teach. So the persecution against the Christians has really ramped up at this point in the story. Uh, the Sanhedrin has put all the apostles, not just Peter and John, like last time, he's put all the apostles in a public, they put them all in a public prison now. All 12 of them. So all the leaders, are, they're not with the church body now. They think this is going to have a huge impact. And they're not just physically keeping them from preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. They're shaming them before the public, right? It says they put them in a public prison. So all their countrymen and all their kinsmen, according to the flesh, right, could look by and say, oh, you're behind the bars. What'd you do? And why is this? Because it silences people, right? Shaming silences mouths. Amen? It does. And of course, we read later they're going to they're gonna beat them ter terribly. Now the goal of these tactics is not justice. The goal, rather, as G uh, Gamaliel says, is to, quote, prevent their undertaking from succeeding. They know they have a plan. They know they've undertaken some kind of a mission. And they want to prevent that from happening. But it does not stop the mission in the slightest. What happens? God sends an angel, it says an angel of the Lord, to open the prison doors and apparently lock them again on their way out <laughs> as they leave. And by the way, they do this in full view of guards. It doesn't say like later when Peter gets released, they're going to put him asleep. No, they're awake. This was not even sneaky. <laughs> this is pretty brazen, right? Now the miracle itself, I find this interesting, it comes across pretty, pretty brief. And very matter of fact, like, well, an angel came and they got out. You know, we're moving on. <laughs> it's not a big deal in the story. Upon rescue, the angel commands the apostles not to escape, not to hide, not even go back to the church and tell them what happened, but to go into a very public space and start preaching about eternal life through Jesus Christ. At daybreak, first thing in the morning, and they obey the command. And of course, they're easily caught again and they're rearrested uh, by the Sanhedrin. It wasn't really hard to find them. They're out in the middle, they're making noise, and this is the humor in it, right? They're like, well, let's go get those guys uh, that we locked up. Well, where are they? We have no idea. What's that noise through the prison windows we hear? Oh, it's the guys we locked up. Do you see what God's doing? This, God's always the main actor in the Bible. Do you know that, right? That's how you interpret the Bible. What's God doing? God's, it's kind of like God's playing this practical joke on the, his own persecutors. He's not even trying to hide. Suffering for Christ does not hinder his mission. Period. He's not even worried. It does not hinder his mission. When Christians suffer physically or financially or socially for the message that Christ is Lord, it actually furthers his mission. Brothers and sisters, suffering does not get in our way, but rather it is the way that we bear witness to the glory of Christ. Suffering does not get in our way. It is the way that we bring glory to Christ. It is the way. It is the way. It is his strategy. 
Well, how? How does suffering for the name of Jesus bring glory to his name? And how does it actually cause other people to say, I want to follow that Jesus? You're following Jesus and your life got harder. I want to follow him. How does that work? That sounds like a backward strategy, doesn't it? But it's a very effective strategy. And we need to grab hold of that. It shows the world that Jesus really is superior like we say he's superior to everything, right? It shows, not words, it shows the world that Jesus is actually superior to comfort. Jesus is superior to comfort. Jesus really is superior. It bears witness to our message that Jesus is better than money. Like we say that he is. Jesus really is better than a future in our company. Like we say he is. Or the approval of our parents. Or the approval of our children. Or even the love of our spouse. He's actually superior to that. Like we say he is. It shows. It's not just tell. It's show and tell. It's easy to say Jesus is superior to anything in society when you are enjoying many things in that society, right? Does this make sense? Of course you can say that. That's not compelling. That's not a compelling message to people. But to have those privileges or comforts taken away and replaced with shame, replaced with stressors, replaced with restrictions or conflict, specifically because you love Jesus with all your heart, well, unbelievers, even our very own persecutors, they can't easily blow that off, right? They can't just dismiss that out of hand. They've got to look at that and reckon with that. That's why it's God's strategy. But we need to look at something else here that's important. There is a qualification that we see acted out here in Acts, and specifically said in 1 Peter chapter 4. We must suffer for Christ like Christ. That's the qualifier. For Christ like Christ. That's the only way that we bring glory to Jesus by suffering. Not all suffering is created equal. And many Christians, let's be honest, like we ignore this qualification, right? They think that any suffering that they experience should be counted as persecution. Not necessarily. No, no, you're suffering not because you're Christ follower, but because you're a tax evader. (laughs) That's why. Okay? You're suffering because it looks like your behavior is endangering someone. That's why you're really suffering. You're suffering because you kind of talk like a jerk when you talk to people. Okay? Let's be honest. You're not suffering because of your message. You're suffering because of your method. And those things aren't congruent and people are calling us out on it. Don't put Christ's name on that kind of suffering, Peter tells us. If you notice here in the text, the apostles do not resist arrest, even though it's wrongful. And they know it. They don't resist the arrest. Nor do they act violently against anyone. Rather, they accept the persecution. 
And also could notice this. Peter speaks to, when he speaks to his persecutors, he actually invites them into salvation that they might be saved right to their face. Is that bold or what? He's the one in prison. He's the one on trial. He's the one in trouble. But he's trying to set his oppressors free. Wow. He's saying, you're the one in prison. Can I help you? Wow. Peter says, look, we've done nothing wrong, but you're guilty of wrongdoing. And Christ can grant you repentance. And Christ can forgive you of your crimes and your sins through his precious blood. How about today? Today's a good day. Wouldn't you love to share the gospel with someone like that? He's not ranting and railing, is he? He's trying to save them. Peter doesn't want to destroy his opponents, even though they clearly want to destroy him. And by the way, isn't that how Jesus navigated his own trial and his own persecution? Yeah, it is. He's laid down a pattern for you and I to follow. We glorify God by suffering for Christ like Christ. Look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, there's that qualifier. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But... Here's this qualifier. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. Now, the fact that he's got to tell Christians that, let's be, what's going on in that church, right? But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a doer of evil or as a meddler. But yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It is a beautiful name, and we don't take his name in vain, right? There's a certain trademark suffering, a certain brand, if you will, of suffering as a Christian that should be noticeable to the world. They should look at how we suffer persecution and affliction and go, ah, that's the Christian way. That's the way. Right? Just like Nike's got a swoosh, and you go, you see the swoosh, you think of their brand? Peter's saying this. Acts and Scripture is saying this. This is our brand of how we suffer. Christ has given us rules of engagement, so to speak, so that his name and his reputation will be held in honor and not besmirched. So we endure persecution, but we don't use the weapons of the world. We don't use the resources of the world in doing it. We pick up different resources. Being persecuted is not an excuse to sin. And it's not an excuse to return evil for evil or reviling words for reviling words, the scriptures tell us, right? We do not murder people, either physically or their character, just because they've tried to murder us, right? We don't steal their property or their honor, even though they've stolen our property or our honor, the Bible says. 
That just gives them an excuse to say, ha, when push came to shove, when it got really uncomfortable, you Christians are no different than us. Because you fight the exact same way we fight things. On the contrary, though, brothers and sisters, we want to do good to them and good for them. We're, we're against them for them. Does that make sense? We resist them so they might be brought in. It's the way that we do it. We want salvation for them. We want them to be saved. Because they're the one in prison. So when we suffer like a Christian, to use Peter's words, people visibly see that Jesus really is better. That's the only possible explanation they can come up with. Suffering, listen, this is encouragement. because suffering is not wasting our time even though we often feel fruitless when we're in the midst of it. Do you know what I'm saying? What good is this doing? I'm bearing up under it, but what is this producing? It's producing things. It's working. Know that. Suffering is actually the way that the gospel advances in families and neighborhoods and nations. So what? So stand firm under persecution instead of trying to avoid it at all cost. It's good to try to avoid suffering, but he's telling you there's a point where you can't. You're on kind of a collision course, and that's my strategy. So work the strategy so people will be saved. And my name will be sung about because of you. God is doing his work in your suffering. God, let God do his work in your suffering for however long that time period is. God will set you free from it when the time is right. Peter also goes on to say, so humble yourself before the Lord and in due season he will exalt you. You don't have to exalt you. God will exalt you. He'll restore what's lost, okay? This is, this is encouraging stuff for us. Now the second beam here of this, this, this framework we get is that suffering for Christ is a badge of honor instead of shame. Suffering for Christ is a badge of honor instead of shame. Verse 40. It's right here in the text. It said, When they called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then they let him go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You keep hearing that, word, that phrase, the name, keeps coming up a lot, right? Now, this is an incredible reaction. Then they go back outside and they start preaching. Like after they've stitched their wounds up, they go back out and start preaching again. They didn't even take like a timeout break or something. This is amazing, guys. <laughs> The apostles are given the customary 40 lashes less one by Jewish law enforcement as approved by the high council, the Sanhedrin. So this has got official stamp all over it. The whip that they used was three strips of calf hide had pieces of bone and metal in it. It was administered once across the bare chest and two times across the back, 39 times. Just do your arm and see how tired just your arm gets doing that. And this would make a distinct pattern of lacerations across the person's body, front and back. 
Some people died from the loss of blood just during the flogging. This was no light punishment they got, is what I'm getting at, okay? This was not like them getting off easy. But here's the double wound that they experienced from this particular type of treatment. For the rest of their natural lives, these alleged exemplary pillars of the church, leaders of the church, would bear permanent shameful marks to their entire congregants and to whoever else they shared the message of Jesus Christ with. They got branded. Does that make sense? They were permanently branded forever, also in people's minds. When they would see those stripes, they would have a branded message in those people's minds that would see them by the authorities. of Those are the disturbers of the peace there. Or they're criminals who break the law. Or even worse, they hate the nation, the nation of Israel. People would see these very distinct marks on their body for the rest of their life. And they would think, well, you know what? They wouldn't have done, done something bad. They, they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have got those stripes if they hadn't done something to deserve it because we know who gave that to them. They must have done something to deserve that. So, so let's stay away. This punishment inflicted permanent social pain as well as physical scars. They had been publicly shamed, guys. Now that'll shut them up now, right? That'll keep their mouth shut now, right? No, it didn't. They leave that beating rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And that's an oxymoron, by the way. <laughs> counted worthy to be discarded, dishonored, right? In the mind of Christians, the very thing that should make them ashamed to ever show their face in public <laughs> was a badge of honor to them. It was a badge of honor to the Christians. This thing that should silence their mouth forever was actually causing their mouth to sing songs to God. Thank you, God. We love you, God. You're worthy, God. <laughs> Why? Because they had evidence on their body that they really were children of God. That's why. They had physical, visible evidence that they truly were united to Christ, like they believed they were, like they hoped they were. No, they were. They got confirmation of that. See, guys, their suffering was a sign that they were blessed by God. Being cursed by people for being a witness to Jesus is a sign that you're blessed by God. We need to understand this. Jesus himself actually said this earlier in Luke chapter 6, verse 22. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. When people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, and here's the qualifier though, on the account of the Son of Man, Rejoice in that day 
and leap for joy. Like, do a dance when they do that. Celebrate. Be happy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's the reason why. You have a reward in heaven. For sure. Here you go. You know, right? For so they treated the prophets. These believers were not ashamed and punished for trying to make their name great or for their, their mission or trying to harm people. No, they were persecuted for obeying the Lord Jesus above all others and continuing to do good to people. That's why they got persecuted. And when that happens, Jesus says that, <laughs> that you and I should rejo- rejoice because we are receiving confirmation of our salvation. We're getting it ahead of schedule. (laughs) Isn't that great? We're getting some confirmation early of coming attractions. We're we're with him. If everybody wants to spit in your face, (laughs) you're probably not actually bearing witness to Jesus, okay? But if everybody wants to kiss your face, you're probably not bearing witness to Jesus either. So when your children curse you because you follow Christ, they're embarrassed by what you do and believe, it is a sign that you're truly blessed by your Father in heaven. When your spouse rejects you because of your loyalty to Christ above all, it's a sign that you're accepted by the Lord. When your friends exclude you, They quit inviting you into things. They speak evil about you because of Christ. It's evidence that you have a rich inheritance in heaven. Brothers and sisters, listen, rejoice. Rejoice. That's the response. That's the response. We rejoice when this happens. Why? Because the one whose acceptance matters the most, you have. You got it. The one you really need to be accepted by for all eternity, you got that acceptance. So rejoice. And remind one another of this. Rejoice because Jesus suffered the ultimate rejection, the ultimate exclusion at the cross. You've been accepted by the Father forever. And he's not going to reject you because Jesus was disowned by his own family. By his own family, you've been adopted into the family of God forever. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's only only the power of the good news of Jesus Christ that allows us to live like this, to live like Christians. No, listen, no amount of shaming, no amount of cursing, no amount of threatening or beating, no amount of disown, I disown you. No amount of that can make God the Father ashamed of you if you be in Christ Jesus and if you be following Christ Jesus. That, That can't change. That cannot change. That should make you smile. (laughs) Do not be ashamed to suffer for Christ like Christ. In fact, hold your head up. Hold your head up. Not with swagger, but with a still humble confidence and a smile because your father is smiling on you. It's not your dad's approval that you really want. It's your dad's approval that you really need. Do you understand? And when you know he's smiling at you, you can handle the frowns of everybody else. And that's good news. And that's what sets us free to live like Christ, for Christ. You've heard the gospel. Will you respond to the gospel? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, uh, man, I love you. <laughs> You're so good. You're too good. You're too good. It overwhelms me sometimes. Lord, everything that we need is found in you. And there's a lot of needs here. But there's enough you for everybody. So God, would you direct our hearts to you? Teach us how to suffer for Christ, like Christ, so that your name would be held in honor and would be glorified. Teach us, train us, change us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.